Hey guys, welcome to the Bitcoin Fortress podcast, helping you increase your financial freedom. This is episode 87, recorded here on October 22nd, 2023. This podcast is for entertainment only and it's not investing advice, so please do your own homework. Well, we got a lot to cover this week. We'll start with the market update outlook, get into the weekly Bitcoin news. Uh, I think the theme this week is then they fight you. Uh, so we've got some uh, some stuff to think about here on that front. And then also uh, a few positive things to end uh, the news feed. And then we'll talk about this week's Substack. So with that, we'll jump right in. So with the market update, stocks ended their worst week in a month. With more losses Friday, marking the third straight daily loss for the Dow Jones average and the fourth for the S&P 500, weighed by spiking treasury yields and concerns that Israel's conflict with Hamas could escalate into a wider Middle East war. Also adding to the gloomy atmosphere on Wall Street was hotter than expected retail sales data, along with mixed commentary from a host of Federal Reserve speakers chief among them being Chair Jerome Powell's remarks at an event at the Economic Club of New York. Most of the officials hinted that interest rates could be kept steady, leading the market to bolster their bets for no more rate hikes this year. The yield on the benchmark 10-year Treasury crossed 5% for the first time in 16 years on Thursday, a level that could ripple through the economy and higher rates on mortgages, credit cards, and auto loans, and more. Plus, it offers an attractive alternative to investing in stocks, maybe. Uh, for the week, the Dow dropped 1.6%. <clears throat> the S&P slipped 2.4%. <clears throat> Excuse me. And the NASDAQ composite closed down 3.2%. Looking ahead, a huge week of earnings reports has the potential to shift the focus of investors away from the headlines on the Middle East and surging treasury yields. Some of the heavyweights due to report include Amazon, Microsoft, Meta Platforms, Coca-Cola, AbbVie, and Chevron. The European Central Bank will announce its interest rate decision on October 26. The ECB is expected to hold rates steady after firing off 450 points of rate hikes since July 2022. As for the Federal Reserve, members will be in a blackout period ahead of the next FOMC meeting in November. But the higher for now, for how much longer, guessing game will go on. For its part, BNP Paribas expects the Federal Reserve to hold rates steady for the rest of 2023 and not lower rates until June of 2024. Okay, jumping into Bitcoin news. First article here was updated today from Bitcoin.com. Uh, SEC surrender, fear of Middle East escalation, meme coin market update. Uh, this is the Bitcoin.com Newsweek in review. First, first up here, SEC drops lawsuit against Ripple executives. All charges dismissed. Ripple calls it a, quote, surrender by SEC. The U.S. Securities and Exchange Commission has dropped all charges against Ripple's executives, CEO Brad Garlinghouse and co-founder Chris Larson, 
The SEC made a serious mistake going after Brad and Chris personally, and now they've capitulated, dismissing all charges against our executives. This is not a settlement. This is a surrender by the SEC, said Ripple's chief legal officer. Well, I'm not still still not a fan of shit coins, but uh, uh, it's good to see that the uh, regulators are at least somewhat being held in check by the courts. Uh, next up, meme coin market plummets $3.2 billion in 2023. Dogecoin and Shiba Inu lead declines. Data reveals that the meme coin market has diminished by over $3 billion in value since the dawn of 2023. The leading meme coin by market cap, Dogecoin, saw a decrease of $2.46 billion from January onwards. Concurrently, Shiba Inu experienced a drop of approximately $1.22 billion over the previous nine months. That's why I'm Bitcoin only. No shit coins. Uh, let's see, next here, Bridgewater founder Ray Dalio warns of, quote, brutal World War III, says China and U.S. are at the brink of a hot war. Ray Dalio, the founder of the world's largest hedge fund, Bridgewater Associates, has warned that the U.S. and China are at the brink of a hot war. He has outlined a scenario where we will see the transition from contained pre-hot war conflicts to a brutal World War III. Um, hopefully he's wrong, but uh, it seems like the leaders uh, all all want that of our countries. So um, I don't think the people want that. Next up, uh, unraveling the online legacy of Satoshi Nakamoto, Bitcoin's mysterious creator. The mysterious Satoshi Nakamoto appeared online nearly 600 times through emails and forum posts. Records of Nakamoto's writings indicate he was most active in July and August. While Nakamoto covered many topics, Bitcoin's inventor was notably visible when sharing new release candidates discussing the addition of password protection to Bitcoin's JSON RPC interface and addressing the overflow bug from August 2010. Next up, this is from Bitcoin.com. This was posted uh, three days ago. And again, I'll include links to all these articles in the show notes so you can check it out for yourself. Billionaire bond king Jeffrey Gunlock warns U.S. dollars reserve currency status at risk due to rising national debt. Hearing more and more about this. Jeffrey Gunlock, the CEO and Chief Investment Officer of investment management firm DoubleLine, has warned that the U.S. dollar's reserve currency status may be at risk if the United States does not get its spending under control. Gunlock is nicknamed the Bond King after he appeared on the cover of Barron's as the new Bond King in 2011. His net worth is currently $2.2 billion, according to Forbes. His firm oversees around $150 billion of assets under management. Gunlock said in an opinion piece, should the Federal Reserve continue to raise rates, which may happen, or should the national debt grow, which is certain to happen, this problem will get much worse. He emphasized, and this is a quote, the future of the U.S. dollar and possibly out-of-control inflation depends on getting the budget and spending under control. The weighted average interest rate on U.S. Treasury debt was 2.92% in August, up from 1.97% in the same time period last year. 
the billionaire stated that the interest rate on U.S. debt could increase to 5.5% given the current level of Federal Reserve borrowing costs. He elaborated that in such a scenario, the nation's annual interest bill would surpass $1.8 trillion, which is over twice the existing defense budget. Within just over two years, interest expenses surged from $500 billion to almost $900 billion, already surpassing defense spending. Uh, here's another quote from him. The, the massive budget deficit and increasing interest rates on the national debt should scare every American. The double-line executive isn't alone in issuing warnings about the U.S. debt level and the U.S. dollar. J.P. Morgan CEO Jamie Dimon recently expressed concerns that the fiscal money uh, being spent in the U.S. is so big, noting uh, that it is the largest in peacetime ever with very high deficits in QT. We've never had that. Dimon also raised concerns about the potential for stagflation. Meanwhile, renowned investor Jim Rogers has warned that the era of U.S. dollar dominance is ending with the Chinese yuan as the sole contender to replace the U.S. dollar. Additionally, global financial services firm Jefferies cautioned earlier this month about the potential collapse of the U.S. dollar. So uh, things aren't looking good for the dollar, but of course it's still the cleanest dirty shirt in the laundry basket uh, as uh, the rest of the global paper uh, continues to do uh, much more, much worse than the dollar. So uh, probably you'll see all those collapse before you see the dollar collapse is my guess. But, uh, and who knows how soon that could happen. I mean, they've been able to kick the can down the road for a long, long time. They may be able to do it for quite a while longer. Uh, next article is from Coindesk. <clears throat> this is, um, this was posted on October 12th. So it's a little while back. Um, but I thought it'd be good to mention this again, uh, if I didn't already cover this, uh, but, uh, Coinbase sounds alarm on IRS crypto tax proposal. Coinbase, the biggest U.S. crypto exchange is arguing that a recent proposal from the U.S. Internal Revenue Service will endanger the industry and Americans' privacy. The IRS has proposed a rule recently to formally define crypto brokers and instruct them on how they and their customers could properly pay taxes. But Coinbase said in a comment letter to the agency on Thursday that the proposed rule represents an unprecedented, unchecked, and unlimited tracking on the daily lives of Americans. So that got my attention. These rules would establish an incomprehensible and unduly burdensome set of new reporting requirements that will degrade and displace the same taxpayer services the IRS is seeking to improve, according to the letter from Lawrence Zlatkin, the vice president of tax for Coinbase uh, Global Inc. The Blockchain Association, a U.S. crypto advocacy group, had previously argued that adopting these provisions would kill the industry in the U.S., Hours before the Coinbase letter, the IRS had something of its own to say about crypto dragging down tax revenues with its latest tax gap estimate that flags how much tax money the agency should be receiving but isn't. That estimate highlighted crypto as part of a growing problem, saying the projections can't account for noncompliance in some areas, including issues involving digital assets and cryptocurrency. In August, the Treasury Department published its nearly 300-page proposed rule meant to finally comply with the 2021 Infrastructure Investment and Jobs Act. Uh, 
It set out reporting obligations for centralized crypto exchanges, payment processors, some hosted wallet providers, some decentralized exchanges, and people or entities that redeem crypto tokens. Senator Elizabeth Warren and other Democratic senators wrote their own letter to the IRS this week that advised the agency to rebuff industry complaints. The lawmaker's chief concern was that the rules as proposed will take too long to go into force, which would disadvantage law-abiding Americans and cause the federal government to lose out on billions of dollars in tax revenue. Impose the rule as swiftly as possible, the senator suggested. But Coinbase asked the IRS to rewrite the proposal to limit compliance requirements to those parties that directly effectuate transactions in digital assets similar to those in traditional finance. The agency must review the public comments received up to its October 30th deadline before it can consider a final rule. Um, and uh, I'm not exactly sure how to submit, uh, if you want to submit a... Uh, uh, comment on this proposal, but um, you do have until the end of October. Uh, as far as I'm concerned, uh, you know, they should just limit it to the exchanges. And um, I mean, they already kind of have that now. Like, you know, you get it, you, you know, so I don't know. I just, then they fight you. Um, Let's see, next up is, uh, this is some more Then They Fight You stuff. This was posted on October 20th. FinCEN issues alert regarding crypto transactions connected to Hamas. So never let a crisis go to waste. The United States Treasury Department's Financial Crimes Enforcement Network, or FinCEN, issued an alert for financial institutions as part of efforts to identify suspicious activity related to funding terrorist groups. In an October 20th notice, FinCEN said that a, the militant group Hamas behind the October 7th attack on Israel employed fundraising campaigns involving virtual currency and fictitious charities raising both fiat and virtual currency to fund its activities. The government department warned virtual asset service providers and other institutions to identify and report suspicious transactions potentially connected to Hamas. Specifically, FinCEN cautioned financial institutions to be wary of clients who have conducted transactions with a business in a jurisdiction associated with Hamas. Entities already in the Office of Foreign Assets Control's list of specially designated nationals and those that solicit crypto donations on social media. The announcement came less than 24 hours after the government department proposed designated crypto mixing as an area of primary money laundering concern related to terrorism. And I will cover that next. Uh, FinCEN's alert followed concerns about crypto voiced by U.S. lawmakers in the wake of Hamas's attack on Israel. On October 17th, more than 100 members of Congress called on the administration of U.S. President Joe Biden to swiftly and categorically act to meaningfully curtail illicit crypto activity. U.S. Treasury officials also added a Gaza-based crypto operator allegedly tied to Hamas to its list of sanctioned entities. In March 2022, FinCEN issued a similar warning to financial institutions over Russian entities' attempts to evade sanctions using crypto. The notice came days after the Russian military invaded Ukraine in February 2022. Now, the ironic thing about this, of course, is that... Um, the blockchain is pretty, if you're talking about Bitcoin or 
pretty much any crypto, I guess, is uh, it's very transparent and you can actually see where it's going. So um, it's actually not really a good way to get money if you're uh, trying to fundraise illegally. Um, good old cold, hard cash dollars are really the best way to do that. The banks have proven that they can't stop money laundering, and that is the primary way that uh, uh, the bad guys are able to fund their operations. And so, uh, but, you know, never let a crisis go to waste, and uh, it's another opportunity to um, come after Bitcoin. Uh, and so... Uh, you know, at some point, civil disobedience becomes, uh, you know, your own your only option. You, you know, you, you can try to follow the laws to a point and then uh, it, it just gets to the point where you have to draw a line in the sand. Uh, so as they mentioned in this previous article, this article here is from Compliance Week for the well-informed chief compliance officer and audit executive. Uh, this was posted on October 19th, um, and uh, it's entitled FinCEN Rule Proposal Labeled CVC Mixing a Primary Money Laundering Concern. The Treasury Department's Financial Crimes Enforcement Network might require financial institutions to implement new record-keeping and reporting requirements regarding convertible virtual currency, or CVC, mixing under a proposed rule. On Thursday, FinCEN announced a notice of proposed rulemaking that would identify international CVC mixing as a class of transactions of primary money laundering concern. Doing so would mean domestic financial institutions and agencies must take, quote, special measures toward CVC mixing as directed by FinCEN under Section 311 of the Patriot Act, <clears throat> one of our favorite laws that uh, took away a lot of our rights. The agency said that the rule proposal is in line with the Treasury's efforts to promote transparency for CVC mixing activities, including malicious use of the practice by Hamas, Palestinian Islamic Jihad, and the Democratic People's Republic of Korea. Oh, all the baddies. CVC mixing offers a critical service that allows players in the, in the ransomware ecosystem, rogue state actors, and other criminals to fund their unlawful activities and obfuscate the flow of ill-gotten gains, said FinCEN director Andrea Gacki in a press release. This is FinCEN's first ever use of the Section 311 authority to target a class of transactions of primary money laundering concern, and just as with our efforts in the traditional financial system, Treasury will work to identify and root out the illicit use and abuse of the CVC ecosystem. So basically, privacy is being outlawed, whether it's for illicit purposes or perfectly legitimate purposes, privacy is bad. This is really what this means. The rule would require covered financial institutions to report information about a transaction when they know, suspect, or have a reason to suspect it involves CVC mixing within or involving jurisdictions outside the United States, according to FinCEN. The agency said the additional information would help all parties better understand the illicit finance risk posed by CVC mixing. FinCEN noted it does not anticipate compliance with the proposed rule would pose a significant burden. Oh, oh okay. 
Vincent believes that the existing risk-based approach to AML-CFT, or anti-money laundering countering the financing of terrorism compliance used by covered financial institutions, already largely encompasses the information Vincent is requesting. The agency said in its proposal, despite this ready availability of information, covered financial institutions do not and often need not universally report that information to FinCEN at present. The proposed reporting requirement would address this reporting gap. The proposal will be subject to a 90-day comment period following publication in the Federal Register. So I guess that's another one to comment on. Hopefully uh, our um, uh, legislative uh, groups, uh, pro-Bitcoin groups in Washington will respond to this one. Um, but again, it, uh, you know, how do you determine a coin mix mixer? You know, how do you know, you know, that it's, you know, you could, you could have a multi-signature transaction that could be deemed coin mixing. Um, so who, who knows where this ultimately ends up? Again, it's just another signpost here that the, uh, the system is failing and uh, they're really trying hard to close all the exit ramps. Um, and this is just another one. And if that weren't enough, here's another one. Uh, this is from Coindesk. This is dated October 20th. Uh, articles entitled FBI charges six for allegedly running a $30 million money transmitting business using crypto. Uh, the FBI has charged six people for allegedly operating an illegal $30 million money transmitting business using cryptocurrencies, according to court documents filed Wednesday in the Southern District of New York. The six, uh, Shalesh Kumar Goyani, uh, Brijesh Kumar Patel, Hiran Kumar Patel, Nainesh Kumar Patel, Nilesh Kumar Patel, and Raju Patel operated without an appropriate money transmitting license in New York, according to the filing. The details disclosed in the unsealed affidavit of an FBI agent seeking the individual's arrest reveal that between July 2021 and September 2023, they conducted the illegal business by using the dark net to convert Bitcoin or other cryptocurrencies into cash. The U.S. Magistrate Judge has granted the conditional release of at least one of the people named, Nainesh Kumar Patel, according to a court document. The filing cites an unidentified co-conspirator as saying that at least some clients made money by selling drugs and that the wealthiest clients were hackers. The co-conspirator told an undercover officer that he had made approximately $30 million over three years through the exchange of cash for virtual currency. On February 7, 2023, law enforcement arrested an individual who had been mailing packages on, of cash on behalf of the unnamed co-conspirator from a post office in Westchester County, New York. The arrested individual would later become a confidential source and for the next eight months cooperate with law enforcement in approximately 80 controlled pickups of cash totaling approximately $15 million. The filing has photographic and video surveillance evidence of the accused in the act alleging that the defendants are not registered and do not have a licensed money transmitting business, which is required in New York. That's an interesting one. I guess, I guess if someone in India wanted some dollars, they could just uh, transfer Bitcoin to these guys. These guys would mail them a package of cash. <laughs> Ah, sounds good.
well, this is interesting. I wonder, you know, again, if this affects peer-to-peer um, Bitcoin exchanges, seems like those are very hard to regulate because they're decentralized and they're not really controlled by anyone in particular. But that's effectively what you're doing as you're essentially buying or selling Bitcoin for cash. The cash is running through the banking system um, one way or another, whether it's Zelle or Strike or, you know, a wire transfer or... Um, I mean, I don't think there's physical cash. I don't know if they do gift cards, but that, that could be another one. I don't know. But anyway, it's just interesting to see uh, the uh, the headlines this week. There's a lot of, uh, of uh, interest and activity around um, closing the exits, censoring, uh, you know, getting rid of people's privacy, et cetera. So uh, again, we'll have to be watchful and push back on this type of thing. Because I think which, you know, what's happening now, of course, is that, you know, oh, we can't have terrorism, so we have to get rid of all of your rights to privacy. And, and, and so this whole terrorism thing, especially with the latest things in the Middle East, has popped up again as a top priority. And, and uh, you know, let's not forget the terrorist attacks of September 11th w was almost immediately resulted in the Patriot Act and then going to war in the Middle East, you know, Iraq and Afghanistan and all that. And so, you know, again, never let a crisis, good crisis go to waste. And yeah, you could try to crack down on ter in terrorist funding, but you're also taking away privacy and freedom from your people. And so, of course, Patriot Act came out. And uh, and what? Today, here in 2023, we're still worried about terrorist funding. And they're trying to blame it on cryptocurrency, but that's not where they're getting most of their money. I mean, I heard something on Rabbit Hole re Recap was something like they had $2,000 in a wallet or something of Bitcoin for Hamas. <laughs> I mean, they're getting majority of their money through the banking system, through, you know, countries um, that are providing equipment. I mean, look at Afghanistan. We, we left $80 million, $80 billion worth of equipment there. You think some of that isn't making its way over? And then you've got Iran, who obviously we had to, you know, give them money to release hostages or whatever. Where do you think that money goes? Where do you think the money goes that from where they they uh, sell their oil? I mean, they're still on the uh, SWIFT network. They can still send money. So, um, again, this terrorism thing is a ruse to try to shut all the doors on Bitcoin, crypto, um, keep everybody in the traditional finance system as it collapses. That's kind of my overall thesis. I could be wrong. Uh, and then uh, to finish up the uh, this round of FUD, uh, we'll, we'll, of course, turn our attention to good old Peter Schiff. This article is from NewsBTC, and this was posted, uh, looks like today, Bitcoin critic kicks against spot ETF hype, predicts low institutional investment. So again, you, if you if you want to be, if you want to challenge your conviction in holding Bitcoin, this is Here's another one for you. 
The price of Bitcoin moved above 30,000 in the last few hours, according to data from CoinMarketCap. However, as with multiple instances in the past week, the crypto market leader was unable to sustain its bullish momentum, dipping by 0.6% in the last hour. As the Bitcoin market continues its battle against the $30,000 resistance excuse me, zone, Bitcoin critic and gold advocate Peter Schiff has weighed in on the ongoing discourse surrounding the potential effects of the approval of a spot exchange traded fund. In a post on X on Saturday, Peter Schiff stated that contrary to popular beliefs, the availability of more Bitcoin ETFs will not result in a higher level of institutional investment in the world's largest crypto asset. Schiff's heavy take comes at a time in which several asset managers are currently trying to gain approval to launch the first ever spot Bitcoin ETF in the U.S. Uh, and his, his tweet says, Bitcoin pumpers claim that once there are more Bitcoin ETFs, investment professionals will start buying them for their clients. That will never happen. Duh. I guess he misspelled happen. There's just too much liability. Investment advisors won't buy them and stockbrokers will only accept unsolicited buy orders. Since the onset of this ETF saga in June, many market analysts have lauded the potential positive effects of a spot Bitcoin ETF could produce, with some predicting Bitcoin's price to trade above $100,000. According to a recent report by blockchain analytics firm CryptoQuant, the approval of a spot market ETF could result in Bitcoin attaining a market cap of $900 billion and a total crypto market cap growth to a trillion. However, Peter Schiff presents an opposing theory to this debate as he believes investment brokers will likely not be purchasing such funds for their clients due to certain liability. In this context, liability likely refers to the risk factors attached to crypto investments, which include the crypto market volatility and lack of clear regulations in the U.S., among others. Peter Schiff believes that with such existing liability, investment professionals will not promote or recommend a Bitcoin ETF to their clients. In the best case scenario, he states that investments in Bitcoin ETFs, including a spot Bitcoin ETF, will likely occur through unsolicited buy orders, whereby a client makes a specific request to purchase such funds. In other news, the Bitcoin ETF saga has garnered more attention in recent weeks as more bullish predictions continue to roll in. More recently, Paul Gruwal, chief legal officer at Coinbase, stated that the American, the American largest exchange is confident the SEC will definitely greenlight a spot ET, Bitcoin ETF following the commission's recent court loss against Grayscale. Meanwhile, certain asset managers, including BlackRock and ARK Invest, have reviewed their ETF applications, indicating signs of an ongoing dialogue with the SEC, a move which typically precedes an approval by the securities regulator. For now, it remains unknown if the spot Bitcoin ETF will eventually grace the U.S. markets, but analysts have penned down January 10th as the expected date of approval. Thereafter, Peter Schiff's theory can be put to the test. However, it is worth stating that Bitcoin did gain by 7% on October 16th, following the fake news on the approval of, Black, of BlackRock iShares ETF. At the time of writing, Bitcoin trades at 29,890.35 with a 0.6% gain on the last day. Meanwhile, the token's daily trading volume is down by 12.67% and valued at $13.35 billion. Um, yeah, that was interesting. There was some fake news that came out. Um, it actually ended up on a Bluebird terminal. Uh, and then uh, I think uh, 
uh, I forget uh, which um, which site um, posted it, but the source was like a not a good source. And so anyway, stock the Bitcoin spiked and then it fell off, but then it it's basically climbed back up. Um, and I think it was up ten percent last week. So anyway. I don't even really like talking about Bitcoin price um, on this, as as you know, if you've been a long-time listener, um, it's more fundamental than that. Uh, anyway, moving on, next article here. Uh, this was kind of interesting. This came out last week, um, and if you want a deeper discussion on it, um, it's good to listen to this last week's episode of Rabbit Hole Recap. They actually had a Lightning developer on the show to, to talk a little bit more about this particular issue. Um, anyway, so diving right into it, uh, this was on, uh, this was on bitcoinist.com. Uh, and this article was posted, uh, looks like today article entitled Bitcoin developer sounds the alarm. There's a back door in the lightning network. Bitcoin's Lightning Network was designed to make Bitcoin transactions faster and cheaper, but according to a recent discovery by a now former Lightning developer, Antoine Riard, there's a major security flaw in the network that puts users' funds at risk. Taking to a thread on the Linux Foundation's public mailing list, Riard detailed the new discovery of a security risk in the Lightning Network that could allow hackers to easily get control of the Layer 2 protocol. The Bitcoin Lightning Network is a layer two payment protocol that operates on top of the Bitcoin blockchain and enables fast, low-cost transactions between participating nodes. Since its inception, the Bitcoin layer two protocol has been well accepted, although various vulnerabilities have been reported. Users can instantaneously send and receive Bitcoin thanks to the Lightning Network, which facilitates the creation of a network of payment channels between users without waiting for transactions to be confirmed on the blockchain. However, Riard claims that there's a new malevolent danger out there called the replacement cycling attack, which puts the network in a perilous position. Cycling attack works by specifically targeting payment channels to steal funds from mempools. These attacks are not easy, but can be carried out by very sophisticated players. It essentially works by changing the transaction signature of a victim's timeout transaction in a mempool by a new transaction without leaving a trace on the network. Although simple cycling attacks can be easily mitigated, Riard warns that a very sophisticated attack could leave payment channels exposed to hackers. Um, the vulnerabilities uncovered in the Lightning Network code base are troubling for the future of Bitcoin scalability solution. Riard's discovery seems to have ruffled a few feathers of Bitcoin investors as revealed by comments on social media platforms. In what looks like his second memo on the issue, Riard mentions that addressing the issue may require significant rewrites of critical components of the network's base layer. Defending against the backdoor may also require modifications to the underlying public Bitcoin ecosystem. <clears throat> I think this new class of replacement cycling attacks puts Lightning in a very perilous position where only a sustainable fix can happen at the base layer, i.e. adding a memory-intensive history of all seen transactions or some consensus upgrade. Riard has since stepped down from the development of the Lightning Network with plans to focus now on Bitcoin core development. Data from DeFi Llama shows the TVL of the Lightning Network is now at 159.74 million. Its future uh, depends on how developers and the Bitcoin community respond to this news. 
A quick transparent fix of the vulnerability to restore trust should be an important next step. On the other hand, the price of Bitcoin just crossed $30,000. Robert T. Kiyosaki predicts that Bitcoin will reach 135000 very soon. So I guess the upshot on this lightning thing is it it um, it does require, it does, uh, it, it involves your channel partner because every time you open a channel, it's a two of two multi-sig. So if you don't quote KYC your channel partner, there's always a chance that that person could be a malevolent attacker. If they're sophisticated enough, they could execute this strategy and steal your coins. Um, but network participants that are trusted, meaning like all the major exchanges to the extent they've opened channels with one another, should be pretty safe. I mean, they have reputational risk, obviously, if they do a rug pull. Um, so, for example, a, a channel between, let's say, Binance and Coinbase or between, you know, uh, River and Binance or Strike, you know, um, those channels should be safe and therefore you should be fine sending, you know, um, sending uh, transactions over those channels. Um, and obviously, you know, um, you don't keep your whole stack in a lightning channel. <laughs> you keep it on, you know, your Bitcoin cold storage and then you keep a small amount in on lightning to, you know, for small transactions and things like that. Um, for that very reason, because it's, you know, that one of the trade-offs of going, you know, to the layer two is that, you know, there's less security than you have on the Bitcoin main chain. So um, ultimately, though, it, you know, it does need to be adversarial. Um, and, uh, you know, this is really the first potential, you know, significant attack that's been um, identified for the Lightning Network. And there's a lot of smart people working on it. So hopefully they will come up with a with a good fix for it. It may affect you know they may have to 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 revise the Lightning uh, base layer protocol. I wouldn't be an advocate of changing the Bitcoin base layer, but um, but I think you know if they can change Lightning uh, or you know come up with some kind of a a good fix, uh, you know, because it does need to be you know um, totally adversarial in that sense and you shouldn't have to have that level of trust with your channel partner um and uh, but that's a known known risk now so everybody you know can can move forward with it but anyway like i said uh, if you want a better deeper conversation about that check out rabbit hole recap from this this past week okay um well that was all the bad news let's move on to some of the good news uh, so this, this article here is from Cointelegraph. This was uh, posted on October 19th. Hodling hard, Bitcoin's long-term investors own over 76% of all Bitcoin for the first time. Bitcoin is becoming scarcer than ever, whether you're a Bitcoin price speculator or new to the market. The latest data from an on-chain analytics firm, Glassnode, shows a record portion of the available Bitcoin supply is locked up in long-term storage. At more than 76%, Bitcoin's long-term holders control more of the Bitcoin supply than at any point in history. Despite the supply increasing with every block, in percentage terms, the low-time preference Bitcoin investor cohort has a record market presence. Uh, as noted by Charles Edwards, founder of Quantitative Bitcoin and Digital Asset Fund Capriol Investments, 
the achievement marks a first in Bitcoin's lifespan. A record 76.2% of the Bitcoin network is locked up with long-term holders today, he wrote on X in October 18th. And this is a quote, topping the record set in 2015, less liquid supply means the same people are bidding on less coins. You do the math. Edwards referenced the knock-on effect of the LTH record that coins available for other market participants are getting rarer. An accompanying Glassnode chart shows long-term holders increasing their Bitcoin exposure dramatically from mid-2021 onward. Hodling through the entirety of the subsequent bear market only during brief periods since has the percentage of supply that they control decreased. In private comments to Cointelegraph, meanwhile, Edwards added that while demand for Bitcoin itself fluctuates, the trend trajectory is clear. I don't mean demand is the same as 2015. I mean that for the same given demand and a reduced supply means price must go up. Supply demand economics, he explained. And this is another quote, but in reality, demand has increased quite a lot since 2015, so it should put an even more upward pressure on price for this cycle. We've never had Bitcoin supply this constricted going into a halving. As Cointelegraph reported, the opposite end of the spectrum to LTHs, short-term holders, or STHs, or speculators, are also of major interest to market observers. The realized price of the STH cohort has functioned as support during much of this year, and this week... Fresh data shows that the trend remains in play. The STH realized price, the price at which all STH-owned coins last moved, sits at just below 27000 and Bitcoin US dollar breaking above it this week is an important bullish impetus, analysis, analysis, says, analysis says. Data from Cointelegraph Markets Pro and TradingView shows Bitcoin holding 28000 support after hitting two-month highs. In August, meanwhile, the historically low Bitcoin exposure among STH entities was already on the radar. Okay, um, some more good news. This was uh, from Cointelegraph. This was posted on October 19th. Grayscale files for new spot Bitcoin ETF on NYSE ARCA. Major cryptocurrency investment firm Grayscale Investments has filed a new application with the United States Securities Exchange Commission for a new spot Bitcoin exchange traded fund. On October 19th, Grayscale submitted an S3 form registration statement with the SEC intending to list the shares of Grayscale Bitcoin Trust on the New York Stock Exchange, ARCA, under the ticker symbol GBTC. The new filing aligns with Grayscale's ongoing effort to convert its Grayscale Bitcoin Trust into a spot Bitcoin ETF, according to a statement by Grayscale. We remain committed to working collaboratively and expeditiously with the SEC on behalf of GBTC's investors, the firm wrote in the announcement. The latest S3 registration statement is a shorter filing version of a typical Form S1 statement that targets the initial public offering of equity securities registered under the Securities Act. GBTC, however, is eligible to use a Form S3, a shorter filing that incorporates by reference its SEC disclosures and reports because its shares have been registered under the Securities Exchange Act of 1934 since January 2020, and it meets the other requirements of the form, Grayscale stated. The firm mentioned that Grayscale would be able to convert GBTC to an ETF and issue shares on a registered basis since once NYSE ARCA's 19B4 application is approved, 
and the Form S3 must be declared effective by the SEC. The announcement added, and this is a quote, importantly, GBTC is ready to operate as an ETF upon receipt of these regulatory approvals. And on behalf of GBTC's investors, Grayscale looks forward to working collaboratively and expeditiously with the SEC on these matters. The news comes weeks after Grayscale won an SEC lawsuit for its spot Bitcoin ETF review with the U.S. Court of Appeals for the District of Columbia Circuit ordering the SEC to explain why it rejected Grayscale's application in June 2023. The company also filed with the SEC to list an Ethereum futures ETF in September. Grayscale is one of several companies seeking the SEC's approval to launch a spot Bitcoin ETF, including companies like ARK Investment, BlackRock, Fidelity, and others. According to Bloomberg Intelligence Analyst James Seifert, BlackRock filed an updated Bitcoin ETF prospectus on October 19th as well. The filing is likely their response to SEC comments like we've seen from ARK, Fidelity, and others, he said, adding that it brings more confirmation that issuers are in talks with the SEC. Uh, and a little more good news. This is from Bitcoin.com. This was posted, uh, looks like three days ago. Tesla maintains 184 million Bitcoin holdings as Elon Musk flags concerns over high interest rates. So whether you're a fan of Tesla or not, they do or are one of the companies that holds Bitcoin on their balance sheet. Uh, and so, you know, people like to watch to see what they do. Um, so Tesla released its third quarter earnings results on Wednesday. The company reported $23.35 billion in revenue, $1.85 billion in profits, marking declines compared to the previous quarter. Despite its earnings missing Wall Street expectations, the electric car company's balance sheet still shows net digital assets of $184 million. This is the fourth straight quarter that Tesla has recorded the same value for its digital assets, which mostly consist of Bitcoin. Tesla invested $1.5 billion in Bitcoin in Q1 2021, but sold 75% of its holdings in Q2 2022. Musk, Musk explained at the time that the company is certainly open to increasing its Bitcoin holdings in the future, noting that the sale was due to concerns about the company's overall liquidity given COVID shutdowns in China. Tesla's filing with the U.S. Securities Exchange Commission also states we may increase or decrease our holdings of digital assets at any time based on the needs of the business and our review of market and environmental conditions. On, in January, Tesla, Tesla's SEC filing showed the fair market value of the company's Bitcoin holdings was $191 million at the end of 2022. The electric car company also accepts the meme cryptocurrency Dogecoin for some merchandise, which accounted for an immaterial amount of di digital assets as stated in the company's SEC filing. During Tesla's Q3 earnings call on Wednesday, CEO Elon Musk highlighted several concerns affecting his company's profitability, including the high interest rate environment. He stressed, I am worried about the high interest rate environment that we're in. I just can't emphasize this enough that the vast majority of people buying a car is about the monthly payment. As interest rates rise, the proportion of that monthly payment that is interest increases naturally, Musk said, if interest rates remain high or if they go even higher, it's that much harder for people to buy the car. They simply can't afford it. And that is true. Same is true of houses <clears throat> and maybe even educations, uh, since people like need to borrow student loans 
to fund their education. And last, uh, in the good news section of the podcast is an article from CryptoSlate. This was, uh, looks like it was posted on today. Morgan Stanley believes crypto winter is over. Bitcoin halving will kick off new bull run. Wall Street giant Morgan Stanley believes that crypto winter is over and Bitcoin's next halving will kick off a new bull run as it has in the past. In a recent report titled, Will Crypto Spring Ever Come? The bank's wealth management division delved into the four-year cryptocurrency cycle and the significance of Bitcoin's halving events on market cycles and shaping the crypto landscape. Morgan Stanley analyst Denny Galindo, author of the report, wrote, Signs indicate that crypto winter, Bitcoin's cyclical bear market decline, may be in the past. Galindo began by drawing a parallel between the four-year cryptocurrency cycle and the year's four seasons. He, de he detailed the four distinct phases of the cryptocurrency cycle, with each phase bearing a resemblance to a season. According to the report, the summer phase commences with the highly anticipated halving event where the rate of new Bitcoin creation is slashed in half. <clears throat> Historically, this phase has been marked by substantial price increases in Bitcoin as scarcity drives demand. It typically culminates when Bitcoin surpasses its previous all-time high, sparking euphoria in the market. After reaching a new high, Bitcoin garners media attention and attracts new investors and piques the interest of businesses. This phase is reminiscent of summer turning into fall as the crypto market basks in the warmth of renewed interest. It spans the period between surpassing the old high and establishing a new peak, marking the climax of the bull market. Post-peak, the market enters a bearish phase, similar to the onset of winter. The market cools down as investors lock in profits and divest from Bitcoin. This phase has historically persisted for around 13 months, with prices experiencing significant declines from their highs. It is a time of consolidation, correction, and introspection for the crypto community. Preceding each halving event, Bitcoin's price generally rebounds from its lowest point. However, investor enthusiasm tends to remain relatively subdued much like the cautious optimism of early spring. This is the period when the crypto market finds its footing again, preparing for the next halving event and the subsequent bull run. Galindo highlighted that there have been three crypto winters since 2011, each spanning roughly 13 months. He also noted that Bitcoin's halving event plays a significant role in driving the value of the flagship crypto. And uh, his Quote here, historically, most of Bitcoin's gains come directly after a halving event that occurs every four years. This observation lends credence to the notion that a crypto spring may be on the horizon. The report said there are several key factors to consider in determining whether crypto spring has arrived. Historical patterns reveal that the trough of Bitcoin in the previous crypto winters typically surfaces about 12 to 14 months after the peak, offering a timeline for market cycles. Another crucial factor is gauging the decline in Bitcoin's value from its all-time high. Bitcoin prices have plummeted by approximately 83% from their previous highs in past crypto winters. Miner capitulation is also a noteworthy indicator as many miners cease operations due to financial losses when Bitcoin approaches the trough of past cycles. Miner behavior is monitored through Bitcoin difficulty a metric gauging mining ease. Decreasing difficulty signifies proximity to the trough. The Bitcoin price to thermocap multiple is another critical metric. Thermocap measures the total investment in Bitcoin since its inception. 
A lower price to thermal cap ratio indicates a trough, while a higher ratio suggests a peak in the market's trajectory. The report added that the price action can also signify the end or beginning of a new cycle. A substantial 50% increase in Bitcoin's price from its lowest point typically indicates a trough. However, there have been instances where significant price declines followed such gains. Uh, so interesting um, article from Morgan Stanley. And, um, you know, if you just stay humble and stack socks, you don't really care, uh, you know, whether you're in the, it's actually the best time is to buy during the bear market. And, uh, you know, but if you're dollar cost averaging, you're buying at all times. So it doesn't really matter. But if you're going to be heavily stacking, it's always in the bear market, not in the bull market. Um, but we shall see. There's a lot going on. I mean, I've talked about this before, but I think if it's true that the ETFs get approved in the first quarter of calendar 24, and the halving occurs, say, in April, late April or whenever they project it now. Um, and then, of course, you know, what's the Fed policy going to be at that time? You know, is a recession going to be around us, in which case they'll have to start printing money again? Um, at some point, liquidity is going to dry up and it's going to force their hand, uh, whether they have inflation under control or not. That's very bullish. So, you know, we could have a lot of things coming together at about the same time, which will make the bull market very interesting. And uh, if you think it's hard buying during the bear market, um, it's even harder hodling during the bull market. So that's why you just stay humble, stack sacks, put it in cold storage, leave alone, ignore it. And uh, life is good. Okay, and then I did want to mention this week's Substack post. Uh, and again, I'll put a link in the show notes to this, as along with all the other uh, pieces that I went over. Uh, the post is called Getting Started in Bitcoin, A Simple Guide for Beginners. And so with this, I just wanted to write almost like an orange pill type of a simple um, summary for a, for a noob newbie Bitcoiner. Um, and so, you know, I think a lot of my followers are pretty experienced Bitcoiners, but, you know, we're as Bitcoiners, we're always looking for better ways to describe what Bitcoin is to new folks who um, aren't already into it. So that was what my goal was there. So check it out. And with that, we are wrapped for the week. So uh, thanks for listening to the podcast. If you enjoyed the show, please like and leave a comment. Uh, don't forget to subscribe on your favorite podcast app so you don't miss an episode. Check it out on Fountain. If you haven't already, you can earn sats just for listening to your favorite shows. Uh, and if you like if you like my show, Value for Value, you can, uh, you can even send me sats on Fountain if you like. Uh, you can also follow my Substack at bitcoinfortress.substack.com, and I'm also on Noster. My end pub is included in the show notes. And with that, I will talk to you all next week. Bye-bye.